Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we're talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. Tonight, we're talking with Janice Fielka, and I'm going to read you just a little bit of her amazing biography, just so you get a feel of who this person is. Um, Janice Fielka is an LMSW and an ACSW. She's a nationally recognized lecturer, author, and advocate on issues related to disability, parent-professional partnerships, inclusion, raising a child with disabilities, sibling issues, and post-secondary education. She's the special projects trainer with Michigan's Early On Training and Technical Assistance Part C of IDEA. Janice is also a parent, poet, a compelling storyteller, and an award-winning advocate for families and persons with disability. In 2009, Janice and her family were honored with the Lifetime Achievement Award by Family Voices for their advocacy in disability. She was named Social Worker of the Year by the National Association of Social Workers, Michigan Chapter, in 2007. She's a sought-after presenter, and Janice has provided the keynote addresses and workshops at many renowned national, state, and local conferences throughout the United States and Canada. She's conducted workshops for schools, human service organizations, and parent advocacy groups. Her writings are published widely in textbook journals and family and professional publications. She's offered several books and a collection of poetry, including her much-published advice to professionals who must conference cases. And tonight, we're going to be able to talk about her book, What Matters? Reflections on Disability, Community, and Love. Janice, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michelle. I'm so honored and excited to be with you. I, I look forward to our conversation. Well, you know, I mean, it's like sometimes when I see your children, I'm, I realize how long we've known each other. And I know, especially with Emma, because I remember us being in Maine and your husband, Rich, hoisting her up on his shoulder as we all sang Emma goodnight for her to go to bed. And now she's teaching. And so, you know, but through these years, I've watched your children grow. I've watched you advocate. And really, not only do you live in the intersections of life, but you have helped them acknowledge and recognize who they are and all that they are in their community. And they have a, I mean, you guys have a great circle of friends and, and interests, and you see it reflected in their viewpoints and all that they do. Well, thank you. Thank you, Michelle, for um, bringing back that beautiful memory of um, 
singing to uh, Emma, you know, good night, Emma. Yes, that was a lovely moment. And, you know, you certainly are part of that circle as well. I do feel like we are, our family is incredibly um, fortunate to have been in a community where, you know, social justice is understood um, as a way to live your life, you know. And so I think um, uh, we're, we're, you know, honored that, you know, our kids, could grow up in a community where people of all ages thought about not only themselves but the world they live in and and, and that they got this message that um, if you can make the world better and you have a responsibility. So, yeah, I remember those walks on the island. Wonderful. Uh-huh. You know, and I think that through your advocacy and the fact that you integrated Micah, Emma, the community. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, you never said, well, even though your books talk about being a parent of a disabled child, you made us all think not as disabled, but differently abled. And, you know, I mean, I was reading your book, which I have to get you to sign one day for me, and I thought about you know, how you talked about how you were reading, you learned lessons, and I, and I, I chuckled when you talked about when um, Micah took his first airplane flight by himself, and you wondered, how's he going to get from here to there? And he said, I asked someone. And it sounds like in many ways you learned as much going on this journey as you gave, you know, now you're teaching it to others. But how did you... You know, and you talked about that moment when you got that first diagnosis and you're like feeling that way, and, but then you rose above it. And how, what gave you that like, okay, we're in uncharted territories, but we know what the end goal is, and, and how did you start to find your way? Yeah, yeah, it's such a great question. Well, it's certainly the, the uncharted territories resonates for me. I remember in those early years, um, when we were beginning to learn that Micah had delays, disabilities, special needs, and he got all of these labels, you know, thrown at him, uh, there's no doubt, and I always say this, that we were stunned, scared, shocked, terrified, felt inadequate, um, and those are you know, not every family experiences all of those, but many of us do um, because it's not what we expected. I think what helped us um, and continues to help us is that, one, we sought out the experiences of other families and uh, professionals. Um, I know now the power of stories. I, I have a new favorite quote that says something like, Words are how we think, you know, the concepts, but stories are how we link. And so I sought out, I attended conferences. There weren't a lot of books then as there are now, but I read, I learned from people who had children with disabilities or supported people with disabilities, and I learned that we, um, that I learned to have great expectations, not to be, uh, stifled by any label that says you can't do this or, um, you know, you, you, you shouldn't ask for that. So I think that was an important lesson that um, to, to reach out to others, to learn from them. To, and, and as you um, mentioned a couple minutes ago, 
we needed to learn how to ask for help or invite support. That is, um, you know, I often we um, I think especially as adults, we spend so much time trying to not ask for help, right? <laughs> trying to, okay, I'll figure it out and. Um, not that we can't sometimes do those things on our own, but when I was able to say to other families, you know what, I'm not quite sure how to do this. We want Micah to be included with his peers. Um, help us think about this. So we learned early on that building the community takes reaching out and that it wasn't a sense, I mean, this took a while, I'll be perfectly honest, but it wasn't a sense of, oh, they're helping Micah, but they're really just building a community where we learn from each other. Uh, when Micah was in third grade, we created a circle of, of friends, as it was called, and we learned that from other people, especially in Canada, who knew the importance. Because Micah, people were friendly to Micah, um, but they weren't friends. And sometimes when you have some a disability or a difference, you need a little bit more support or intentionality in terms of being able to connect with your peers. And so these young people, third grade, um, they basically hung out with Micah um, in an intentional way. You know, initially sometimes we had to um, help facilitate those relationships, help them know how to connect with Micah on the, you know, playing, you know, games at recess um, or because he does, did not read in the typical way, um, his peers then would, when it was journal time, they would record in his journal his thoughts, his ideas of what he, you know, did over the weekend, and they would write those um, ideas down um, because he wasn't able to do that. So I think, that, I guess, to summarize, it was reaching out to others, learning the, the, the learning how to ask for help or support without apology but with dignity and respect is how I frame it. Um, and I, so I think, you know, I'll, th th those, are, those are really important things. And then I think we also had a fundamental understanding. Now, this took us a while as well. Everything, to, all the insights we've gained took us a while, and we're still learning them. But we, we eventually began to see this wasn't about a special education issue. It was about a social justice issue. It was about the fact that Micah belonged in his community, that disability, in a sense, is a part of his identity, seeing disability not as a deficiency but as a difference um, and not apologizing for it and not letting his needs decide what his dreams would be but let his dreams decide what needs were needed to support him. So, you know, I could go on and on, but I, 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 I is that making sense? Is... Oh, oh, yeah, you know, and I, like I said, I think that, you know, and particularly, and I remember, like, when Michael participated in Detroit Summer, I mm -hmm. mean, I think that that's one of the things that it was. It was like, like I said, he and, and what you really sort of set up around this community that he, you know, because Detroit Summer is, I would say, an extension of your of your community. But it was like, it's Micah, and Micah is differently able. And it was like the, the other kids who were involved, they didn't have to go through any, you know, huge adjustment. It was just like, oh, 
like you said, how with, with the journaling, where uh-huh. they were, these kids did that. And then I remember, I believe that was the year that we did one of the mural, and they made it a, a point to reflect that people had different abilities, that there wasn't anybody who was disabled or different, you know, in that way. It was just like, well, our community makes up all these people. Yeah, and even the legislation talks about disability as a natural part of the human condition. And this is a real mind shift for many of us because, you know, we grew up, especially I grew up in a world where you didn't, and here I'm going to teach, to share a little bit about what I learned from disabled activists is we, we grew up in an era where, you know, the special education kids were in a different building or even when I was growing up they didn't even have to be provided public education. That didn't really start to the, the law that wasn't passed to the 19, mid-1970s. So they were separate, segregated, somewhere else. Um, and so people didn't really, one, know how to interact with people with disabilities, and they also sort of saw them as different or separate. And what I've learned um, over the years from Micah and other people who have mentored and supported him is that you know, it's as I said, it's a part of the human condition. I, I, you know, I learned that not everybody has to move from, you know, one house to the next in the same way. Some people can roll in their chairs. Other people can use a cane. Um, Mike is a great example that I mean, he's very knowledgeable of the world and current events. Um, he stays right on top of all of that. Um, he doesn't read or write in the way that you and I do, but he uses technology. And so whatever is on the computer screen, he has a program that reads it out loud to him. If he wants to send a Facebook message or a text or an email, he speaks into a program that records his voice as text. Now, many of us are familiar with that now because of smartphones, right? I mean, but in those early years in middle school, we had to train a program. It took hours and hours and hours for them to recognize or for the program to recognize Micah's voice. So he, um, so I, I think, you know, technology is really going to or already has opened the opportunities um, for people who live, work, talk, speak, see, hear in different ways, not in a, a deficiency way, but in different ways as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what we're learning is, I mean, I think there's a quote that goes something like, you know, to have a disability is, is an inge- ingenious way to live. Um, one of the things we've learned is that it takes a lot of imagination. How are we going to support someone who maybe doesn't speak to interact with the community? And so we learn about, you know, the use of, um, you know, uh, tablets or, um, you know, uh, iPads and things like that. Um, so imagination is a part of it. And I think Micah's life, which, you know, I can share a little bit more about how he's grown over the years, is really about opportunities. Do all of our kids or children have opportunities that allow them to really explore the world, to try out new things, to make mistakes? My goodness, that's how we all learn. Um, And if we get too protective of our children, they won't grow or stretch and try out new things and expand their 
you know, their their understanding. Um, I mean, Micah, Micah had, um, a, when he was in first grade, he was in a self-contained or a segregated classroom with other kids with disabilities. And the teacher was fine, and he seemed to be doing okay. But here's the big story. He came home one day, and in his own way, he said, I want to go in the same door as all my other friends because he had gone into a, uh, you know, a different door with the, with the kids with labels. And that really hit us. I mean, we began to see that one Micah, one had dreams. And so we weren't sure how to make that happen. It wasn't inclusion then, as it, we now know it wasn't as popular. No one in his school had ever done that before. But we learned more. We listened to Micah. I mean, he was unstoppable. I just He wasn't going to... Um, you know, squash his dream because we didn't know how to do that. And eventually, in a year or so, he was fully included in his with his peers in general education, learning what he could learn. He may not learn everything in the textbook, but he would learn a couple of key points if it was about the Civil War or, um, you know, about some some uh, you know basic geography fact or subject. So he would learn his pieces. So he grew up with his peers being in his, their classroom for the most part. Now, it was really important that he had support, that he had a personal assistant um, or what did, a peer professional, they called it then, a peer professional who supported him, um, who, uh, uh, his learning and helped modify some of his uh, subjects. So, for example, rather than write... Um, a five-page paper, he might interview someone. Uh, I remember once the assignment was to learn about another country, so he interviewed a preschool teacher who was from Scotland, and he asked her about, you know, the capital and what the, you know, country was like and, you know, some of the culture and the food and things like that. And so he submitted the audio tape to uh, the teacher as his, you know, fulfillment of his assignment. So it take, took, as I was saying, imagination and, and, and intention and, um, and necessary uh, supports as well. So, you know, middle school, he continued high school. So eventually, um, because many of his peers were going to college, he came home one day and said, you know, I, I'm going to college too. And we, you know, looked at him and thought, now how do we make that happen, right? Because kids with what we call intellectual disabilities or what used to be called mental retardation, they didn't go to college. They went to um, community-based vocational programs after high school. Um, College, um, you know, and again, we reached out. We found out that there were a couple people around the country doing it and with the support of some very innovative educators in the Michigan area, we were able to create for other students, including Micah, a fully inclusive college program uh, at Oakland University. And Micah then sat in as, um, or sometimes audited classes on a variety of topics. So there he was, um, moving towards his dream, always growing, always stretching, taking risks. So, you know... Um, I'll pause for a minute and see if you have any questions, or I'll just keep on. I'll keep rolling well, on. To, uh, well, well, I was going to tell you. I wanted to tell you, and then I wanted to ask you. 
one of the things I noticed that, um, and it was a few years ago when I had written a children's book, and one of the things I did was I took the drawings and made them bigger. You know, so uh -huh. I had these big, big storyboards. And I know that I was in one school, and it was a really lovely school, and they had all these classes. And, you know, towards the end of the day, this one teacher came out and she said, my kids didn't get to come to your storytelling because they thought they'd be too disruptive or they wouldn't be able to. And in part, because of my exposure to, to Micah and, and knowing about this and everything, and I said, you know what, we can do this. And I took my pictures in and basically we told each other this story. I would start telling them the story and if they wanted to add something in, that was fine. But my, I tell you that because here, this was, I would say, not 10 years ago. But, you know, we know that with schools still, some schools still have a way to come. Well, I understand that, you know, what took you? You took care of Micah. You heard your son, your son's need, and you were determined to prepare for him. But you also became not just the mama bear, but this advocate. And where you're going out and you're presenting and you're talking and you have a book and you're doing all this, you know, some people would say it's enough to do for mine. You know, I, I just want to make sure that my child is okay. But then you took this other step, even like you said, how developing a curriculum for other like kids like Micah who wanted to go to college and to see that. When did you say, you know, yeah, I'm going to take care of mine, but that's not enough. I have to become a part of this bigger community and become this advocate. Yeah, I, it's, a, it's a good question. I, I, I think, I mean, one thing for me is that I had gone through the women's movement where we learned that the personal is political, that um, it, 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 this wasn't just about me or our family, but this was about, this was a bigger issue. So I think in some, and this was also true of, you know, uh, my husband, Micah's dad, Rich Feldman. I mean, we both had a sense of the bigger picture. Um, so I think that contributed to that. I, I think that there was, it's so not one-sided. When I could share a story about Micah with other people, I get a hundred times more back because I see the light bulbs going off in their head and they start thinking about what they might do and vice versa. I remember this mother coming up to me when Micah was maybe, I don't know, 10 years old and she said, my son is 24 and that seemed like you know, a million years away, right? And she said, he can't, he has an intellectual disability, he can't drive, but I bought a car for him. And his friends and personal assistants will use that car to take him around. And, and it, was a, it was just this moment that she gave me a sense of there's going to be creative ways out there um, that you're going to be able to keep Micah engaged in his community. So she gave me the gift, and, and then I just, you know, it's sort of like the gift that keeps on giving. Mm -hmm. I get 
so much more when I get so much back when people tell me, just like you did, Michelle. I mean, I, I didn't know that about Micah's impact on you in a very specific way. So when I hear those things, it just gives me the energy to keep on supporting him. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, obviously, as you know, Emma now is a second grade teacher. Mm-hmm. And she's doing full inclusion. Um, we just met with one of her students who she had a couple years ago, um, who we talk about in the book, or she talks about in the book, Kevana. And Kevana was um, in first grade, just great energy, hadn't been in school much. And so she had to go through an adjustment of, um, you know, learning sort of the culture of school. She, I think, I don't know if I mentioned, but she has Down syndrome. And she, my Emma understood right from the beginning that she was going to support Kayvana to be included. And she wanted Kayvana, and she wanted, she had high expectations for Kayvana. Kayvana didn't have to do exactly what all the other kids did, um, but she could be, she could excel and participate in her way with supports. So, you know, this ripple effect um, just keeps moving forward, and, and she's really supported Kayvana's mother, who had, has high expectations for her daughter. But when she heard that Michael went to college um, and has an intellectual disability and is Emma's sister, you know, that just opened her eyes to the possibility of don't limit me, have high expectations, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, okay, well, so I think it's, you know, a thing that sort of just evolves. <clears throat> We're going to take that first break, and um, I want to come back and talk to you a little bit more, especially about Emma. Um, So we're going to take a break right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. And we're back with Janice Fialka. She's the author of What Matters, Reflections on Disability, Community, and Love. Emma. Like I said, I have, in fact, I have a picture from Maine that that sits out there, and it has uh, Grace Boggs, Freddie Payne, and little Emma there. <laughs> and one of the ways that, 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 that also, you talk about the dance. Okay, you have Micah, and then Emma is his baby sister. Mm-hmm. And, but... Here, when you look at, you just finished talking about this amazing young woman. Now, I, you know, it's like always the tale of, of, of two, two families. I have some friends who have a similar situation, and their daughter felt neglected. Like, you know, all the energy went into that. And in your book, you sort of talk about where Emma, Emma, Emma had a moment, you know, mm-hmm. but you did that dance. How did you, what was that dance to make mm-hmm. sure that as much as, as went into to Micah, 
also helped Emma develop to be the person that she is and also that she could be so empathetic that she's able to do that with her students now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, one thing that Emma taught me, Emma is wonderfully wise and also honest, a nice combination. And so um, especially in middle school, she and she's comfortable with me sharing this because she also does public speaking and talks about this. She did go through a, a phase of being embarrassed and uncomfortable around her brother. At that point, Micah um, stuttered, and, you know, it wasn't always easy to be conversant with him. So you add that to being middle school when you're awkward anyways and you're not sure of yourself. She she didn't really want to be around him a lot with his when her peers, her friends were around. And at first, I you know, I was troubled, concerned about that. Um, but I knew in part maybe because I was a social worker and I'm really trained in honoring people's feelings and recognizing that feelings are, um, you know, legitimate and you have to pay attention to them. We um, gave her permission to not always have to have Micah around, and we had made sure we had special time with her. That's really, really important. And um, acknowledge that, yes, there will be times when she might feel embarrassed, and yes, there might be times when she feels like he gets more of the ten- attention. So we validated the feelings and acknowledged them. Um, and as I said, I, 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 you know, it wasn't always easy, but I knew in my heart that it was right. And I hoped that eventually, with, uh, you know, she would move beyond that. In, in, in part because I knew that she couldn't handle her embarrassment along with guilt. So we moved the guilt and just had to deal with one. Eventually, she was able to see, to, to drop that sense of embarrassment or discomfort. For most of the time, I, mean, I, I do think that the non-disabled siblings, as they're called, but the brother or sister that doesn't have the disability per se, they do have something that they carry with them. And there is a recognition that the child with a disability does get more attention. Um, and and, and that's, it's something you carry. You don't necessarily have to fix it. It, it does, I think, grow and the research even points to this, it grows their capacity to be empathetic. Um, that it's not about everything has to be equal because things aren't equal, but they're fair. And I, I hear that in her teaching um, when she's with her students, when I get to observe her in the classroom, which is so wonderful to do. You know, she knows, she'll say to kids, they'll say, well, he gets to do that. And she'll say, we all have different needs. And learning what our needs are are really important to help us grow. So we take away those lessons that we can learn, and she did. And I think the other thing that was really important um, is that I was able to track down a sibling support group. Um, We had to drive, I think, almost 40 minutes once a month for uh, three or four months, and so she was able to be with other brothers and sisters who had a brother or sister with a disability and really just have fun and eat pizza. And then they would have not therapy but conversations about what was a time when you were embarrassed by your brother or sister or what was a time when you felt proud. And she began to see that she wasn't alone, which is very similar to what I was saying in the very beginning of our conversation when I could meet other parents. I then, you know, could sort of feel like I could 
that you know my 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 experience was validated so that was important to her um and then she learned to advocate i i'll share a story i remember Micah, when he rode his bike in middle school, he had training wheels on his bike. And he was totally delighted and happy and just would whiz down the street. Well, for Emma, she was uncomfortable with that. You know, why would my older brother, four years older than me, have to have training wheels? And it was something that really rubbed her the wrong way over a period of time. And um, we you know, validated her feelings and did all those kinds of things, but she just couldn't let up on this particular issue. So Richie um, was able to um, find a bike. Those, um, It's a three-wheel bi- wheel bike with the bigger wheels to them and um, bought, brought, bought one for Micah and brought it home, and that worked for her. And what mm-hmm. happened, it became the favorite bike on the in the neighborhood because you could – Probably it wasn't really safe, but the kids could sit on the back of the basket and and tool around in it. And so it was a way for Mike, Emma, to hear, we're listening to you, Emma. We're we're problem-solving with you. We're not dismissing your issue, and we're trying to figure out some way that's sort of a compromise. And everybody won in that situation. So, so, you know, so those are some of my thoughts. Um, I think that... um, I think being able for the sibling, um, the brother or sister without the disability, really need to have a lot of permission to talk through their issues. And it's easy for parents to, oh, I don't know, because of concern and love to, you know, want to say, no, I love you too, and, you know, I have special time with you as well. But I think some of the things we have to make sure we do is say, yeah, at times it must seem unfair or not quite right or more difficult. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, we have another link. I mean, you know, between your husband and you and I, and, you know, we have, and you talk about community, we've done this work as far as, you know, community activism. And as you as you talk about, and, you know, and you see this body of work where you're talking about social and economic injustice and racism and xenophobia and homophobia and, you know, all these things that we talked about, often in those conversations in in Maine and through our relationship with the Bog Center. In that bigger conversation, did you sometimes go like, well wait a minute, there's an this needs to be nuanced to include the disability community. You know, and I mean, because really, when you stop and you think about mm-hmm. it, I mean, you can talk about the civil rights thing, mm-hmm. um, marches, and now we're just starting to talk about, well, you know, Bayard Rustin was there, or you know, and and so do you talk, you, it's nuanced to recognize that there were gay people involved, but often you don't hear when people talk about like the civil rights era, you don't hear about the contributions or how that affected people in the disability community. So did you sometimes in the midst of those bigger conversations find yourself like the kid in the classroom going like, wait, wait ooh, 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 I got a question. I, got, I want to bring this up. Oh, that's so, it's so insightful, Michelle. Absolutely. I mean, that is Micah's gift to our family, to our community. Um, he really, because of his life, as well as all the people that he met and he took us to taught us to ask the question who's not at the table and 
way too many times the people who are not at the table are people with disabilities. Um, and uh, so we, we have been really cognizant of that they're missing not being there and and also hopefully trying to do our part and we could do so much more to making sure that there is this bridge between all of these different social movements if you look at um who you know any meeting that we we're often at or gathering where are the people with disabilities um often not there michael was lucky we were lucky because uh, in high school, he attended one of the first uh, Michigan Youth Leadership Conference. Many of the states around the country were doing this for kids with disabilities. And all of a sudden, he and we learned that there was a disability culture, there was a disability history, there was disability activism. We didn't know. We didn't know who Ed Roberts was. We didn't know who Justin Dart was. We didn't know that the longest sit-in of a federal building, 28 days, was done by people with disabilities in 1977. They sat in, rolled in, and lived in what we then called the Department of HEW in California for 28 days in order to make sure that um, a law, the policies and procedures were passed for um, under, I forget the exact law, the Michigan Rehab, or not, not Michigan, the Federal Rehabilitation Act. I mean, why don't we, why don't we all know that piece of history as much as we know all the other important pieces of history? Why do we not know that Justin Dart, known sort of as the father of the Americans with Disability Act, um, visited 25 years ago, 26 years ago, every single state collecting stories of people with disabilities um, and, and what, you know, what they were up against, not because of their disability, because of the fact that the, wor the, the world isn't accessible. Um, he took all those stories back, and that fueled the energy to pass the Americans with Disability Act, which is now about 26 years ago. Or Judy Human, who, um, because she used a wheelchair, this was, um, I don't know, maybe 40 years ago, was not allowed to be a teacher because they were afraid that, you know, if there was, well, they, I don't know, there are many reasons they were afraid, but eventually she, you know, protested that and won and became a teacher and then became, um, you know, had a, a very high um, federal position at the, in the Department of Education, perhaps, I, I don't know the exact title, but head of um, special ed. Um, and she was one of the women who was celebrated at the Michigan March. There were 25 women honored, and she was one of them. But we may know Gloria Steinem's name or Rosa Parks' names, which, of course, we should. But how many of us know Judy, Judith Human? So, yes, you're right. I do think that we are, <clears throat> because of, of Micah and his willingness to enter into the disability community, we've, we've, we've began to see that there's, there's um, to broaden that social justice arena, who, who's not at the table and how do, we, how do we bring them in because, or how do we go to them <laughs> because we have so much to learn. I think um, 
one of the things that we've learned in terms of the disability culture is that that community more than most understands that we uh, need to value interdependency um, <clears throat> because someone like Micah or someone who uses a chair or someone who's blind, there's much more of a reliance on each other um, in a very concrete visual way where those of us who are so-called able-bodied can pretend like we're, you know, more independent. In fact, you may remember that um, on July 4th, that was the day that I actually launched our new book, which chronicles mm -hmm. Micah's life. And it, rather than call it Independence Day, I, without any um, clout whatsoever, um, have renamed it to be Interdependence Day. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, so those are, um, you know, a many thoughts about this whole issue of how do we get people. And the good news is um, that because Michael was willing to get involved in the disability movement or was interested, he brought us along, and we had a lot of uh, young uh, uh, people with disability who really taught us about the things that I just mentioned. And... You know, and they are, they refer to themselves often as the ADA generation, the Americans with mm -hmm. Disability. They've grown up with their civil rights saying it's not just about accessibility, but it's a quality of how we belong. Now, you know, you often talk about this dance of yours. When I love how in your bio, because I, okay, I love musicals, you know, and I can remember being a kid and watching. Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers and yeah. pretending, and, you know, and my parents didn't dance together that much, but, you know, there is that thing about the dance. Your longest dance partner has been your husband, Rich, and I was surprised when I read in the book that he was like, no, you've got to write this. You've got to do this because you are, I mean, you've always been like the mama bear. You've been out there. You've been talking about it. Even, you know, as you've gone early days. You've always been out there and doing that. How would you just describe Rich in your relationship? Is he like the wind beneath your wings? Is he, I mean, like I said, I was surprised that he's the one who's pushing you to do that because, I mean, it's, it's, you're a couple, but you have, you know, you were a strong person. You were doing your thing. And, you know, and that was just like surprising to me. Mm, yeah. Well, you know, I guess when you're doing your thing, you don't think about it as doing your thing. <laughs> you know, it just was what I was doing as a mama bear. And every once in a while, you know, I would write something. You know, I used to say, people would say, you're a poet. And I'm saying, no, 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 I'm not a poet. I'm an insomniac. <laughs> and that's what you do in the middle of and that's what you do in the middle of the night. Um, you know, and I'd write something, and, uh, I, you know, I had people who really supported um, the articles. Uh, there was a Michigan, through the Department of Education newsletter that was wonderful, and this woman would encourage me to write those pieces. But, yeah, Richie uh, had a, a strong sense that, you know, this has to be in print, and... Uh, I am so grateful that, you know, he did push and nudge and um, and connect me to people. I mean, he, I, I can't, we're a good team. We, you know, not that we always agree and not that it's always easy. In fact, one of the things that I've learned using this dance metaphor is that many times uh, he and I do not hear the same music. 
especially in those early years. I, I would hear that, you know, when we'd go to those meetings, I would hear the glasses half empty, and he would hear the glasses half full. And we'd walk away from those meetings, you know, as if we were in totally different rooms. Um, what we've learned over the years on our good days is that we don't, even to this day, often hear it the same way. And so rather than try to convince each other of our way, as I said, on our really good days, we'll say, well, what did you hear? Oh, okay, well, that's different from what I heard. Okay, well, you know, then how about if you take on, you do this piece and I'll do that piece. Um, so we don't always come at it in the same way. And so I, I think in some, not, not that it's always easy, but I think that it has enriched our lives in many ways and our kids' lives. So, yeah, he's, Rich is, um, he's the the wind. Uh, what is it? The wind underneath my wings. He's my mm-hmm. wings. He's my resting place. Um, you know, he's the person who makes me laugh out loud. He's the person who comforts me, who believes in me. And you know, I hope that on uh, you know there are moments when I um, support him. I mean, he he appreciates. He really values, and I'm grateful for this the advocacy that I did, especially in those early years. I think it helped that I was a social worker, that I knew people who were in this field, and um, Micah got a, probably a heads up because, you know, we were able, able to connect with people who had resources and ideas. And, and I guess maybe, Michelle, to, to go back to what you had said, one of the reasons maybe that on a somewhat conscious level that I wanted to speak and write and advocate is that I know that our family is has a lot of opportunities because I'm a social worker because we're activists and advocates we have the ability um, to connect to um, you know to resources and so sometimes I want you know I want to support families that may um, have the same dreams and desires but may not have all the same background or, as we say, privilege. And um, so I I think maybe that's a calling, too. I remember there was a young woman who had autism who heard Micah speak about going to college, um, which was, as you know, an unusual thing for someone like Micah. And she she was about 14 when she heard Micah speak. And she tells a story about how she went to um, to see her family doctor, and he said something to her like, "Well, you know, you have autism, so you know you can have a good life, but you you can't go to college." And she said, "No, I heard this kid named Micah speak, and he went to college, so I'm going to college." So you know that that that's important that you know we tell that story as I you know as I was saying earlier, and that we share our knowledge that we've been able to, um, you know, obtain. We have the resources to go to conferences and workshops, and we bring that back and share it with others as well. So, yeah, I feel very um, blessed and honored um, to have Rich uh, uh, because we have some similarities and, and, uh, and, and some differences. You know, you said- a, yeah, go ahead. When you sit back now, because you said you had the privilege of sitting and watching Emma teach, and I know you've gone and seen Micah do all these things. 
do you sort of say, okay, all right, that part of that part, my children, you know, rearing them, that part of my job, the hands-on part is done. Look at who they've become. And that they all can, in some ways, the work you've started, do you see that you've planted that? And that's still going to go on through them? Yeah, it'll go on through that. Yes, I, I, I do see that. Um, I know that there's, like, hundreds of parents who follow um, and professionals who follow Mike on Facebook because they learn from him. He posts wonderful posts, you know, so I'd encourage your listeners to, to you know, learn more about him. I can share that at the end. But, yeah, I do, I do think it goes on. And I, I will say, though, that, um, I mean, it's true, parents are always parents forever and ever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, you're always advocating. I, we still um, are engaged in Micah. Micah has a circle of support. I mean, to, for your listeners' sake, I, I will tell them that um, as we, as we uh, tell the story in the book, Micah um, decided, he because he speaks nationally, about six years ago he was speaking at Syracuse University, which is seven hours from our house, right? And he was... You know, he he um, was presenting for, to a couple of conferences, so he stayed in Syracuse for a week. And he called us, and after a few days, and he said, this is where I want to move. They get me here. I mean, to think that Micah would ever move <laughs> that far away was, you know, mind-blowing. And, um, and in six months, he was able to make that happen. And one of the reasons was, and this was his own reflection, was he knew he had to create his circle of friends there at Syracuse University, or at Syracuse. And so he gathered together professors and friends and Ph.D. students and, you know, um, a different, different people um, to help him. And he meets regularly once a month with them. And a larger group and a smaller group more frequently to talk about what supports does he need. Um, he, you know, he does receive, a, he has personal assistance for about 15 hours a week. So he, um, you know, so now he is a teaching assistant in the School of Education. So you have young people who are coming to school to be teachers, to um, do full inclusion, and they are seeing someone, Micah in this case, who has an intellectual disability who is a teaching assistant. So it's opening their eyes to what is possible, that people can live, as, as Ann and Rudd Turnbull say, an enviable life, a life that matters, a life that contributes as well. And um, so... Yeah, so that ripple effect continues, and we are still involved. I mean, we don't attend the meetings, but, you know, we'll participate or offer ideas or support different things that we think maybe need to happen, and then Micah will decide whether or not he agrees, and he'll go to the circle and say, okay, this is what my mom and dad might be thinking. What do you think? He now is um, has a girlfriend who he's dating, and before mm-hmm. he, when he was thinking about dating, um, he uh, he went to a circle and he said, you know, I, I think I want to start dating. And so the circle helped him think about that, and they did practice dates. I mean, I wish we all had those opportunities, right? And they, they told him, you know, you don't want to go to a fast food restaurant. You want to go to a sit-down restaurant. And 
Um, uh, and then eventually he did find someone, someone sort of matchmaked him, and she's in the uh, Inclusive U University program there. Megan, we just got to meet her last week, and it's beautiful to see their interactions and their conversations. So, yeah, so I think it ripples. I think we're still involved, and, you know, we're always growing. You know, now Michael will say, if we give him an idea or have a thought about something, he'll say, I'll think about it, and I'll talk to my circle about it. And that's oh. great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I like how in the book, you know, you have lots of, you know, you have stories by Mikey, you have stories from that. I particularly liked his story about his friendship with Scott, which, I mean, just sort of cracked me up, like, why can't you have a Catholic fire mix that? I mean, which sounds so, I can hear Micah saying that. Right. And when you, because I know that a lot of what's in the book have been published before, what made you take this, this expansive part? I mean, and I love the way that you did it, too, because I can think that it shows Micah, and the whole context of his disabilities community and the love, it, it really does. But what made you take this, this, this way of doing it? You've got, you know, essays in here by, from Emma, some from mm -hmm. you and your, and your husband together. What made you say, you know, we're going to redo this, but it needs to be this type of work? Well, in part, I knew that as a number of people were saying, you know, your family needs to write a book. Um, so, you know, to share the lessons learned and to support other people. And the idea of writing the entire book, we, we, we you know, we, we tried to think about how to do that. It felt a little bit overwhelming. And then when we, um, the first book I published in 1997, there were about 70 pages uh, that really were about his early years and some of the poems and essays. That was available, and over the years, um, you know, I'd written a number of articles so we, uh, Inclusion Press out of Toronto have been really important to our lives and I really encourage your readers to look into inclusion.com. They uh, wanted to publish it and said, well, let's add some articles. And so we started with 76 pages and ended up with 240. And we just kept adding articles. We did this in six months. It was, a, you know, we, we had to quickly move because they wanted it for a particular event in July. And um, we added... Um, uh, you know, additional articles so that it would uh, cover some of the highlights of Micah's life. And then Emma had written a couple pieces, and then we wanted people at Syracuse University. We invited them to participate because they've been so instrumental to his adult life. It just seemed to work and be reasonable. Now, Micah is working with another woman on his own book, so that will be interesting to see as well. But. Mm -hmm. It sort of um, it just evolved into let's make it happen. In addition, um, and this is something that your listeners might uh, want to know more about, is Micah, um, there is an, um, a wonderful filmmaker. His name is Dan Habib, who did a film called Including Samuel, which is all about inclusion, very well-respected uh, film. He now is doing a documentary looking at what is intelligence and how have IQ tests been misused and abusive to many people. Um, and Micah is one of the featured people in the film. Uh, that right now um, your listeners can watch the 14-minute um, trailer, which is available. Um, it, the actual full-length documentary will be out in probably January of 2018. But in preparation for that 
film coming out, we also thought the book is a good idea because it will provide the background information for how Micah ended up at Syracuse University as well. Mm-hmm. So I can the the uh, if if your listeners go to intelligentlives.org. Um, intelligentlives.org, they can watch that 14-minute video, and they will get us right away, as soon as they go on the website, um, they will see that wonderful smile Micah has, because it's just full screen right there. Um, So, yeah. Okay, well, we're going to take that second break, and we'll we'll be right back with Janice Fialka, and this is Michelle Brown, your host on Collections by Michelle Brown. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. on Blog Talk Radio. Be sure and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. Join the collection at www.collectionsbymichellebrown.com. Okay, Jan, you're an empty nester now, right? Because Emma is in... Boston? Yes. Okay. So, yeah, I keep up with my kids. (laughs) Uh, Emma's in Boston. Micah's in Syracuse. You're an empty nester. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do when you're not being an advocate and all of this? What what does Jan do? That's just, you know, I'm going to... Well, I, I love the outdoors. So, I love to to hike. I love being by the water. Um, and actually, uh, now Richie is really appreciating that. Recently, we just headed out to Point Pelee in Canada and watched the sunset and walked around oh. along the beach and saw the ice caps. It was beautiful. Um, so being outdoors is really important. I love poetry a lot. And so um, I'm, you know, in a group where we read uh, poetry um, and talk about it. Uh, I'm involved in, you know, and I think, uh, you know, as we get older, too, our, you know, our friendships, my women friends are really important to me, spending time with them. I love reading. Um, I recently retook, uh, took up um, knitting a little bit and, and knitted four of the pink hats for the uh, Women's March and Mm-hmm. So, yeah, those, and then we're visiting, you know, we like to travel. We recently went to Cuba, and uh, that was really powerful, and we met with some groups around disability issues there as well. So, uh, you know, we've, we're lucky to have um, the ability to um, do a, a variety of different things. And, you know, whenever we can, we make sure we, we visit with our kids as well. And as you know, Rich is very involved in so many of the wonderful activities that are occurring in Detroit. And, um, uh, and uh, he's, he's sort of like the dot and connects dots to you know, and uh, so he's very busy uh, with a lot of different things. The newest publication, Riverwise, uh, is a wonderful magazine that you know really captures a lot of the stories of what's happening in the Detroit that a lot of people don't know about but need to. So those are you know so those are some of the things. It is different. I do miss being a parent, um, you know, a parent of, of young kids. Um, it's, it, you know, and, and you move on, you know, there's riches, uh, wonderful riches in having adult kids. And I will say that I think we're really lucky in that we like a lot of the same kinds of things as well. We, you know, so, 
uh, Emma joined us for the Women's March. Um, Emma and her girlfriend joined us for the Women's March, so that was nice, too. So, yeah, that's, that's some of what we do, you know. You know, what, what, what's interesting is, like, earlier I had um, done an interview with Danielle Atkinson, and she formed a group called Mothering Justice. And a lot of what you say, really, it shows how that's the power of motherhood and mothering because she said, I said, well, what made you do this? And she said, well, you know, it was the realities of the situation. I had these kids. I had to do this and do that. And I started to think about, you know, these were the challenges and other people were facing it. And so she went on and did that. And that's a lot. I mean, you know, to show how some everything that's old is new again, you know, how things don't change. Yeah. You, you became a mother and you were dealt, you know, as I said, you, you played the hand you were dealt with and you played it well. Mm-hmm. And that just seems to be like something that's inherent in women, you know, and in mothers that, you know, like sometimes you, you just find a way, as they say, to make a way out of no way. Yeah. And, I mean, that's, that's what I think is just like so incredible. And that's why I wanted to talk to you. And I love your kids. I think, you know, to have watched them grow up. And, you know, I see, I, I follow, I see more from Micah than from Emma. Uh-huh. But, you know, Micah doing all of these things. Emma, happy. You know, she's teaching. I've seen pictures of her and her girlfriend. Uh-huh. I mean, and it's just like that they're unapologetically themselves. Uh-huh. That they understand the world that they're navigating in. And not only, and what they don't understand, they're trying to, they're making a way out of it, like, and to be inclusive and empathetic. And, you know, and that comes from that advocacy from the beginning, like, these are my kids, and I'm going to, I'm going to make their world the best, which is really what we all want, you know, for our children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I often think of how Jimmy would say, Jimmy Bob's would say, what can we be that our children might see? And I think that this, communi- this community and love, your book, is an example of that. Mm, well, thank you. Thank you, Michelle. I, I'm so, so honored and, uh, to have this conversation. It's so rich. And you, um, because you're familiar with the family, you, you go deep. And you, are, you, know, you give gifts back to us by helping us you know, see what's out there and you know i am thrilled i i i am thrilled i just recently got an email from a mother um in somewhere in michigan and she has a a daughter with down syndrome and she's about five years old and she said in the first 66 pages of your book janice i learned more from you than i have from any of the professionals Mm -hmm. and i I don't say that to, to brag or boast but to say that we each each of us have things that we can share i mean I, I just am telling sort of what we learned over and over and keep learning. And somehow, um, as you said, it has this impact that there's this universality of, of, of lessons that we have to learn, right? And um, so if we speak them out loud, um, they, they, they travel. It's a, a song that's familiar to others as well, you know. I, I forgot about Jimmy's quote, what, what can we be that our children will see? I thank you for, for bringing that back into to my consciousness because, you know, Jimmy 
Jimmy. I mean, I can see Jimmy Boggs, um, you know, playing with Michael when he was a toddler, bringing him an apple. I mean, it was, the community was also very welcoming of Micah, um, you know, and uh, we didn't have to necessarily fight to have him be acknowledged or respected, too. So, uh, you know, that that's something we appreciate and value as well. Can I tell you this uh, one of my favorite quotes from, I, I think that often about of things that, you know, between all the many things that I've learned from Jimmy, that's yeah. one of the things that always sticks in my mind. Yes, yes. No, I, I so appreciate that. I'm going to use it. Um, because it's true. I mean, we did. I remember Micah, and I never, ever thought about this at all, but he came to me a couple years ago because now he's having to do more of his own advocacy with the supports he has. And he calls up and he says, wow, I never knew it was so hard to advocate. I used to watch you in meetings, Mom. Now I get what you were doing. What a gift that was for him to be able to see that and share that back with me. So I tell parents, watch how you are in meetings. Your kids are going to get them involved early. Micah started going to his meetings when he was in fifth grade. He didn't stay for all, the whole meeting, but he would stay for part of the meeting. And he, he, he learned. We learn by, by watching. You know, our children learn. So, yes. So we're coming into the home stretch. I want to... Now, I got my book from Amazon. Where okay. else can people get your book? Yeah. Um, okay, so if they go to my website, which is danceofpartnership.com, three words all together, danceofpartnership.com, and right at the top when they go get to the home page, they'll see click on the new book, and right underneath that is another interview that they can listen to, and I'll put this one on as well. Um, yes, they can get it from Amazon. Um, we appreciate that, although we love it when people purchase the book from, from uh, our website. Um, it is also available in an ebook form, uh, and that would be through inclusion.com which is the um, publishing uh, company, a wonderful group with lots of resources as well. Um, and I also have a Facebook uh, page um, of about 1,000 likes. Uh, let's see, it is facebook.com, What Matters Inclusion. Okay. And, uh, and about the movie, you can see the trailer, and what's the name of it again? Yeah. I know I've seen the trailer. Sure. Uh, the tra- and that's also on my home page right at the top. There's a lot of valuable. It's um, intelligentlives.org, the plural lives, L-I-V-E-S. And then um, just to remind your listeners, if you scroll down my home page, there are two poems that I wrote that you can listen to me. Um, I, I speak them, but they're also really powerful music and uh, visuals. Uh, so the one, Puddles to Pride, is a three-, four-minute poem that shows um, those early days when we were crying into puddles when we first found out he had a disability and then moving to marching with him at the first annual Disability Pride Parade. So it's a pretty – people really appreciate that, that message and a lot of photos from the Disability Pride Parade. So those are all available. There's lots of free resources, articles you can download 
on the dance as well as um, we did a, also a documentary of Micah called Through the Same Door Inclusion Includes College, and that's on the website too under publications. So lots of things to keep you busy and to share, and I always appreciate the re- uh, readers' responses talking about, you know, the impact and what they're, they're sharing their stories as well. Well, we will be posting that. Um, um, my, I've got a web page. It's under there, reconstructing it. But we'll okay. be posting those links to you because I know that people will want to go um, and see all that. Well, Janice, I want to thank you. Like I said, there have been lessons that I have observed and learned and have tried to, to share with people. Like I said, I have friends who have a son who's similar, and I, I often tell them, look at Micah, and I'll say, you know, don't give up, you know. Yes. Hang in there. This what this can happen, and I think that you know, it's it's just a, a remarkable story that that's not ended. Um, I think we're into the next chapter, the Emma and Micah chapter, and <laughs> I can't wait to see what they're going to do. Yeah. And so, Janice, thank you so much for being our guest, and I look forward to seeing you in the real in the near future. Um, I will be posting all that, and I'll get the links in up for you so that you can see. Oh, I'm so deeply touched by this conversation, Michelle. It means the world to me. You're a beautiful woman, and you support so many of us. So thank you for bringing me into this community. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Jen. So I want, I want to thank our listeners tonight um, for sharing this conversation with Janice Fialka. I think there's a lot to learn, and I hope that you all click on her page and see these things and Watch for that video. Read this book. You'll be inspired. I hope you'll join me next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual who's living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. That's right here on Collections by Michelle Brown every Thursday night on Blog Talk Radio. Thank you and good night.